0: This week, we talked to NASA consultant and Apollo historian Ben Feist as we discussed his involvement with the new Apollo Eleven quarantine movie. And of course,
1: we keep you up to date with all the latest news and sport from the world of spaceflight.
0: If you're new here, you may not be aware of our social media channels. You can follow us at Space and Things One on Twitter. Or get involved at Space and Things Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.
1: And as always, we are extremely grateful for your support. But whether you're a silent supporter or someone who's been sharing our stuff with all of your friends, we hope that you enjoy episode 22 of the Space and Things Podcast.
0: You're listening to the Space and Things Podcast with Emily Carney and Dave
1: Giles. I'm Emily Carney and I'm Dave Giles and welcome to episode 22 of our podcast. Uh, It's been a pretty crazy week at HQ for Space and Things. We've got a lot of exciting things coming up, uh, a lot of plans being made and uh, the diary's looking nice. So um, if you're on our Patreon, I'm going to start divulging some of the things that are coming up, but it's been fun. Uh, But but Emily, I can't help but notice... you did a little bit of a uh, cross podination this week, uh, pardon the pun, and you you were on uh, <laughs> the Space Foundation podcast.
0: Yeah, I was. I, I taped that episode. I think we taped it sometime in December, and uh, yeah, because they approached me like uh, about last year, and they were like, you know, we want to do a podcast uh, with you know uh, a human spaceflight expert. So I was like, okay, you know, I'll do it. So we did it last month, and it was a lot of fun. Um. It's great. It's a great I kind interview. To, a great thank interview. You. Yeah, I got to talk sort of about, you know, past, present and uh, future of spaceflight and sort of, uh, I guess, I don't know, my vision of spaceflight. So it was it was a lot of fun. And nice. uh, I really I love the uh, Space Foundation. I love what they do. Uh, So it was a it was a lot of fun. It was a big honor to do that. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you're also um, you're also moonlighting.
1: <laughs> with uh over at higher orbits this week <laughs> sorry I couldn't yeah
0: one. yeah I did a talk for them um I did a talk for them about um it, it's not publicly available it was right. part of one of their programs okay. uh for students but it was I did a little talk about like space literature sort of the history of space literature and um I went through sort of a capsule i guess a capsule history of you know space literature a through z or a through z as you all would say over in the <laughs> over in England um but um so i kind of did that and then i talked a little bit about you know my own career and um cuz it was for students and i talked a little bit about you know how i got started uh, and tried to give some advice you know about you know how to work in the space industry without being a scientist or an engineer yeah. something like that cuz i'm neither of those and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, i still I still have had a career, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah,
0: that was a lot of fun. I love Higher Orbits. Uh, Y'all, I hope you check them out. Um, They're a lot of fun. We
1: will stick Uh, a link uh, about them for sure. I I do hope to get um, Michelle on at some point to talk about what they do. I think that would be really interesting.
0: Yeah, me too. She's awesome. She is awesome. She's
1: really cool. Uh, so we'll sort that out for some uh, for some future date. But this this episode, I'm super excited about this episode because I've already edited most of it because we recorded most of it last night, and it's really like the the interview is so good that we have coming up, um, and it all came about really quite quickly after last week's show when we when we mentioned the Apollo Eleven. Uh, movie, but I, I do think it's appropriate right now, just before we we move on to the, the news and then get into the interview, just to 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 point out that we are aware that we are neglecting that it's Space Remembrance Week. It's an it's an exceptionally strange thing that you have the anniversary of the Apollo One fire, uh, the the Space Shuttle Challenger, and that's the thirty fifth anniversary this year, and and the Columbia disaster, all within such a short space of time, and and there are a lot of events going on uh to, to commemorate uh, these anniversaries over these few weeks. And if you go on the Space Hipsters uh Facebook page at the moment, there are plenty of wonderful memorials going on on there as well. Um so yeah, we're not covering it this week, but we are offering something um really positive and hopefully quite inspirational instead.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I I think um, Space Remembrance Week, there are a few online um, remembrances. I think the American Space Museum has a link. If you go on their Facebook, they have a link to a, one of them online, a virtual remembrance ceremony, because a lot of them are in person. Uh, if you go to like uh, Cape Canaveral or Titusville, they have a lot of in-person memorials, which are awesome. But obviously, we can't do that right now. We have to stay safe, obviously, which is great. So a lot of it's being done online this year, so uh, I highly recommend to check that out. And uh, like uh, Dave said in in Space Hipsters, uh, we are running um, some of our memorials that we've done uh, the last few years as well. So obviously I uh, take Astronaut Remembrance Week uh, seriously, but I I think it's kind of a nice, I guess, tribute of sorts to look at a program is inspirational and successful and that is it, it is inspiring and to me it sort of pardon the pun carries the fire of, you know, what a lot of the people who left this earth, unfortunately in the course of trying to get to space flight did. So it sort of it sort of carries their legacy.
1: Absolutely. I, I I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting today's interview to be as inspiring as it was. Uh, and we'll talk more about this later, but I I really do think it's, it is a fitting tribute, uh, although not directly. Absolutely. But yeah, I will post within the show notes as always, I'll post links to things, but I will post, um, a link to some other memorials that are going on for, for those who, who might not know that those things are happening. Uh, if you'd like to get involved with those things, then, then we encourage it. Of course.
0: Yes, absolutely. All right. Yeah, let's get on with the show then.
2: Today, up here where the blue sky turns to black, we can say at long last to Dick, Mike, Judy, to Ron and Elle, and to Krista and Greg. Dear friends, we have resumed the journey that we promised to continue for you. Dear friends, your loss has meant that we could confidently begin anew. Dear friends, your spirit and your dream are still alive in our hearts. Uh,
1: so I want to try and uh, round up the news as quick as we can today because our interview with Ben, as I said, is amazing uh, and I don't want to leave too much out of it. So since uh, we last recorded the podcast, there have been four launches. China had their first launch of 2021 with their Long March 3BE rocket putting a communication satellite in orbit. Rocket Labs also put a joint... Uh, EU and Chinese satellite into orbit with their Electron rocket from New Zealand. Um, This was a mission called Another One Leaves the Crust, as we mentioned last week. Very amusing. And uh, SpaceX had two launches from the space coast in Florida of their SpaceX. Falcon 9 rocket. Uh, The first one uh, was on the 20th of January and put 60 more Starlink satellites into orbit. And it was also the first time that the first stage of that rocket had been used eight times, which is pretty incredible. And the second one was on the 24th of January and it delivered a record 143 small satellites into orbit for a variety of countries and companies. So it's certainly getting crowded up there. Uh, But, again, I will post uh, information in the notes.
0: This might not seem uh, that big of a news story, but it's been quite sad to see that NASA has started to demolish one of uh, the old mobile launch platforms, MLP2. It's a huge historical piece, which was involved in 51 different Apollo and shuttle missions. Uh, With no customers in need of its services anymore, NASA has decided it can't justify how much space it takes up and doesn't see enough value in it as a tourist attraction to keep it.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty sad that those images of it being broken up aren't aren't particularly nice. It's quite an iconic thing that and uh Yeah. Has a place in history for sure.
0: Yeah. I wonder if anything's well, that maybe be something for another episode. <laughs> absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Um so, Joe Biden has decided to share the Oval Office with a large piece of moon rock which was collected on the Apollo 17 mission. There is a lot of talk online about the future of NASA under the new administration, with no mention of the Artemis program in any speeches so far. So, this gesture of having the rock in the office is either to put us off the scent or to indicate a seriousness of going back to the moon. Who knows? Who knows? But Jim Bridenstine has officially left his role as NASA chief, with the job of acting administrator going to the agency's ad- associate administrator, Steve Jerzyk. Jerzyk. Steve Jurzik. <laughs> Until the role is permanently filled. Uh, It is one of 34 acting leader roles which need to be finalized by the new administration. So let's hope that we do see some movement on this soon, uh, that we get someone permanently in place, as we spoke about last week. Um, Because although the private enterprise of spaceflight is doing well, in my opinion, NASA has a huge leading role to be played in global spaceflight endeavors.
0: Speaking of uh, global spaceflight, Dawn Aerospace aims to launch new New zealand's first space plane from a standard airport the mark ii aurora uh, space plane has been given approval from the new zealand civil aviation authority to fly suborbital missions from this airport but we've not been told which one Uh, normally these kinds of planes are launched in very isolated locations to avoid disruptions to normal air traffic but this could be an interesting uh, development and yet another aerospace company that we need to keep on our radar
1: Absolutely. And finally, there will be an EVA, which stands for Extravehicular Activity, uh, which is a fancy term for a spacewalk, on the ISS this week, the International Space Station. Astronauts Michael Hopkins and Victor Glover will spend six to seven hours outside of the station to install the Airbus Bartolomeo platform. This platform has cost about €40 million, and the European Space Agency has been keen to point out its usefulness for commercial entities academic institutes, and other lower-budget customers. This is the first of four EVAs which will take place over the next three weeks, with each of the four astronauts which uh, went up to the station on the Crew Dragon capsule in November putting on a spacesuit to perform a number of upgrades on the station. Um, so, yeah, plenty going on over the next few weeks, and um, and there's been plenty going on this week. So, no doubt a lot of these stories will spill over on uh, as we go forward, uh, and... Uh, it feels like we should be having a discussion, but I really do want to want to get on onto, uh, onto Ben's interview because it's so good.
0: Absolutely. Let's go.
2: Okay, all flight controllers, keep watching your date. I'm still going to be asking for a go-to-go here in about four minutes.
0: Last week, we mentioned that there is a new film out this weekend, which is the follow-up to the uh, 2019 Apollo 11 movie. It is Apollo 11 2, uh, Electric Boogaloo. Uh, just kidding. No, it's not that. <laughs> this is off script. Dave's going to kill me. Um, actually, no, it's a short film, uh, 24 minutes to be precise, entitled Apollo 11 Quarantine. And as the title suggests, it looks at what happened in the 21 days after the three astronauts returned from their flight on the moon. Uh,
1: it's, it's been made by the same team uh, as the as the original movie, directed by Todd Miller. And we were fortunate enough to spend an hour last night talking to Ben Feist, one of the technical consultants who worked on both the original movie and this new short film too. He's also the man behind the Apollo in Real Time website, which currently features the full archival material from Apollo Missions 11 13 and 17 which you can go through in real time or just explore from a number of different vantages within mission control or on the spacecraft it's an incredible resource he now works at nasa and he told us that a piece of software he programmed is being used for the first time this week during the eva we just discussed
0: that's really amazing um and mind-blowing um yeah at any rate um This was a really great interview, and we hope that you enjoy listening to Ben as much as we did last night.
1: Welcome, Ben Feist. Thanks very much for joining us on this week's episode of Space and Things.
2: Well, thanks very much for having me.
1: It really is an honor to have you here, so thanks very much. So uh, please tell us a little bit more about this new movie which you've been uh, consulting on, Apollo 11 quarantine
2: sure the apollo 11 quarantine movie is a short film that's being released uh in imax theaters i think as we speak um and uh it is essentially an epilogue that continues the apollo 11 film from kind of where it left off around where it left off that in the credits of the original film uh there is a reference to the lunar receiving lab and the fact that they just got out of quarantine but this backs up a little bit and talks about um or depicts them uh, going through the process of decontamination and uh, all the different activities that happen after they landed back on Earth.
1: Was that new footage that hadn't been seen before? Did you yes. Un- did you uncover some <laughs> stuff, or uh, or how's this come about?
2: Yes. Uh, it turned. I'll, I'll paraphrase uh, what a lot of what the director has said to many people when uh, you know on these kinds of interviews, but um, the the material that was scanned for the original Apollo 11 film wasn't just the reels that we wanted to use for the film. When we discovered the 70 millimeter footage in the National Archives, part of the whole process of working with them and having them agree to give us this very precious material and to move it to New York for uh, scanning was that we would scan the whole um, gamut of what was there in 70 millimeter and donate it all back to the National Archives. So, uh, with the material that was in the Apollo 11 film, and I, I hope a lot of your uh, listeners have seen it, um, a lot of that consists of that 70-millimeter footage, which is just incredible to see on a big screen. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it was probably less than 5% of the material that we scanned in totality uh, for the whole thing. So um, in the process of packaging up that material, it, it is a huge amount. It is 2.2 petabytes of data. Um I've oh never even heard of that amount of data before. So, 20, 2200 terabytes of data. <laughs> wow. Uh, in its raw form, That's a lot. Uh, scanned wow. to, you know, there's going to be a bit of a process to get it into the National Archives. Um, and through that process, um, uh, Todd Todd expressed that he's he kind of kept looking at a little bit of it and thinking about, uh, well, maybe there's something here we can pull this back together. It's just so amazing to look at this material and to work with it kind of can't help but thinking about what would it be like to pull together a quarantine film. Um, so it sounds like that's where it started with him. And my involvement in it was really as a technical advisor, which was part of my role on the Apollo 11, uh, feature length documentary. Um, I also did a lot of the audio restoration for that. Um, but none of that audio is being used in the short film. So I got to just be, I had the great job of getting rough cuts, uh, over the past year and giving notes back and just being excited about this film, uh, for quite a long time. That's why I was expressing, uh, I've been working on this for a long time. I've been dying for it to get out there. So I'm yeah. really excited that it's finally out in the public.
1: It's very apt as well, especially, you know, right now our country is very much in England. We're all in lockdown. So the idea of a quarantine film come, coming out right now is, is very apt. It's almost like yes. you planned this.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, it, it is, it, it might be a little on the nose uh, if you think of it that way, but um I think there's a there's a great underlying uh, moral to this documentary, and that is that, you know, here here's a crew that they did this amazing thing and they got back to Earth. and They didn't just immediately go on tour around the world and take a victory lap. They had to go and do this thing they didn't want to have to do. Nobody would want to have to do it and, Mm. and kind of do the job that they didn't want to have to do and and did it and like I think that moral of let's all just do what we need to do. And no one's saying it's any fun, um, but it's an important thing for us to do. And, and uh, it's all, it's all there in the film. Absolutely.
0: Are there any moments? Uh, this is kind of just about the Apollo 11 footage in totality. Cause uh, I don't know. I, and by the way, I did see the film, like I think four or five times in IMAX, and <laughs> I was just obsessed. I was like, I can't believe this even exists, you know, but, um, Are there any moments looking back now, you know, um, you wish, you know, personally you'd kept in the movie that maybe were, you know, edited out or and, you know, might we see them in a future release? Maybe.
2: Well, um, as you know, I'm the creator of Apollo in real time. So from my perspective, all of the stuff that was edited out shouldn't be and it should all be there for everybody to see. That's why I'm really excited about this uh, National Archives um, part of the process is that this material is going to be there for future filmmakers if they want to use, but also for people that just want to look at what exists of our documentation of what happened. Um, will all be there. It doesn't have to necessarily be wrapped into a film uh, for you to go to the theater to look at. Um, and that was a little bit of the idea around Apollo in real time. It was like unediting a mission and undocumenting it into a just raw material playing back. But, you know, the, as the technical advisor in the film, I was always pulling on the historical accuracy end of the rope. And, and you know, Todd was also uh, very interested in historical accuracy. But he also had a role to play in making sure that this was something that people would want to sit and watch in a theater, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and ebbs and flows of how that's supposed to work emotionally in a theater is, is an expectation audiences arrive with that you don't necessarily even think about. So there's, there's a lot of things that, that I think... Uh, i would like to see that weren't in the film yeah. but that's only because i know it exists when it, once i saw the film uh sitting as it does uh and watching audiences react to it i got to forget all that kind of stuff you bring to it if you're part of the machine that's making it and just look at it for what it is and i think it's spectacular i actually i you've watched it five times i've i've probably watched it 50 times you know in the process of making it but then I also never miss an opportunity to sit and watch in the theater. I can I can watch it just like another audience member. I mean it's only historical footage. Yeah. It's you know we had something to do with piecing it together in a palatable way, but we tried to get out of the way of the original footage and the original uh filmmakers that shot it. Yeah.
0: What I really liked about Apollo 11 was it had no narrator, had no talking heads, and it didn't have a host. Um it really just put the mission and the people front and center. Like they were the stars of the film. Um, Did you all ever consider using a narrator and uh, why didn't you use one? I, I I loved it, but I'm sure there are people who are like, I wish there'd been somebody to narrate it. I personally (laughs) love that. There wasn't a narrator. It was just the people. And so can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Sure. I, I I love that about it too. Um, I think it, it gives the material itself space to just breathe and live and you kind of get, you know, what, what, one of the, let me just say the first reaction I had with the first rough cut of the quarantine film was just this emotional reaction of feeling like you were there again. Like you've been in the film Apollo 11 so many times watching it in a theater and it gives you that feeling of what would it have been like to be there? And you're just there. And now we're there again for 24 more minutes. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, so it, it has the same process, uh, the yeah. same structure as what you just described with no narration um, there is some sound design, all, a lot of the footage or all of the footage, uh, was, um, without sound. So we had to create the sounds that would have been there, but we've been as accurate as we could. But, uh, that decision, I was again, the genius of what Todd was trying to achieve with this and, to, and a way of getting out of the way of the footage. You know, if you just let the material play out, it does tell its own story. And the public affairs officer, um, who's, describing in the original feature length film what's happening during the mission, you know, he's talking to the news corps, um, and he's giving the, the news corps audience full credit for having been briefed on the mission and knowing what he's probably talking about and not, you know, dumbing everything down to a uh, super general population, uh, level. But we've just proven that that's, if you give the audience some credit, they will pick it up. Um, the little pencil animations and the PAO commentary mm-hmm. was the only guidance that you get uh, that looks like it has served enough we haven't we didn't receive any feedback like you just said with people saying i wish there was a narrator yeah what we did though is we got a lot of feedback that said i didn't realize it was so complicated you know like how many stages had to happen you know the the, the idea of a ptc happening the, the passive thermal control maneuver and the docking on the way to the moon You know, it just people hadn't thought about it if you're just uh not a space enthusiast and It was kind of educational from that perspective too, explaining what was going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've used this movie so many times to explain uh, what, why I'm so interested in all of this and why that mission means so much to me I mean I even had my mum and dad sit down on Christmas Day in two thousand and nineteen I turned up like we had our Christmas dinner and I was like, and they were like what do you want to do now do you want to play a game I was like well I've got this blu ray and <laughs> I think you might like it I mean they were both alive at the time uh, they were they were just getting into their teenage years um, but Uh, I doubt they would have necessarily experienced it like this movie. Um, So I think this movie is a wonderful way of opening the door for people, letting them see what happens, how amazing it is, but it doesn't spoon feed them. It doesn't give them all the information. It doesn't give them all the knowledge. It makes them go, oh, that's really cool. I want to go and find out more. Uh, And I think that's where it really, really, really works.
2: Oh, thank you. Um, I I agree that it, it, was intended to have that an impact like that. And this is the idea of making that uh, Todd used to joke that he wants to make the planetarium film that runs like every 45 minutes forever. This is a relevant thing always. And it's just about something that happened in history. It doesn't date itself over time or anything like that. Mm. So hopefully like uh, it, it is the ultimate for anybody who was interested in this topic of you didn't know what it would be like to stand there, and now you do. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you, uh, you forced your parents to watch that, and I'm also glad that it turns out that they liked <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it didn't take much forcing it. It worked. But but it is interesting uh that you bring up the museum thing because there is the museum cut, the first steps edition, which I think brings it down to about 47 minutes. Now, I saw that version first, and then I saw the full version, and then I've also been back into museums and seen the first steps edition. And although I'm aware of what's been cut and I love that extra footage... It does really work in that museum environment to have that edited cut, and it still really does tell the story and can, can inspire people, especially kids who maybe don't have the attention span of an, an hour and a half feature
2: length. This is a good edit. Well, that, that's great to hear. It, that was a late thing in the process of making the film that we needed a, a shorter cut. And I think there's even like an 18-minute cut or something I've heard about. Like for Some of the museums want an even shorter cut, so watching it, which I did as a technical advisor again, was just emotionally painful for me to for like to Emily's point of, yeah. is there anything you wish you didn't have to cut out? Well, everything that was cut out to make that shorter cut <laughs> is the answer, right? Um, but I'm glad to hear uh, I'm unable to look at it with those kinds of uh, dispassionate, un you know, uncritical eyes. So I'm glad to hear it works out for you.
0: I doubt you can reveal spoilers. uh I mean, we know they're in quarantine uh, for the new film. That's kind of a spoiler. Um, what is your personal favorite moment from the the IMAX Apollo 11 film?
2: Uh, I think um, what the res- restoration that was all, all done and the audio work that had to be done and the research that had to be done was actually hopefully invisible to anybody watching the film. Like, it just looks like it's working. But the moment during Countdown where they are suffering a hydrogen leak in the repressurization of the second stage. And they have to send uh, um, some, a crew to tighten some bolts around a valve. Um, they, we actually found the audio where they say what camera they were on. And then we found the footage of that camera. Like this was wow. a massive amount of work. So you're just watching and it goes, you hear Cronkite talk about the fact that it's happening. I'm oh, sorry. You hear the PAO officer saying uh, what's happening. And then, Uh, You can hear somebody on console say, if you want to watch it, it's on camera 18. And then we put camera 18 up so that the people are in mission control and the audience watching it. So when that the first time I saw it all edited together with camera 18, that's literally all the research, the audio that was restored, being used, the finding all the different archive footage and piecing it together in a seamless way. I literally threw both arms up in the air, like in triumph. The first time I saw that uh, scene working. Um, So it might be a strange choice, but that. That's my uh, favorite moment in the film.
0: I didn't even know that it, that footage even existed. So seeing anything like that in the movie, it was like, what? This is from <laughs> yeah. my I mean, my perspective, I was like, I didn't even know this footage was still around. I mean, it's amazing. Anybody tracked it down and sort of, you know, spliced it together to make it coherent. You know, that's a uh, Yeah. My favorite uh, my favorite part was uh, I'm such a loser. I started weeping when they showed the the Hornet at dawn. Oh, my God. I started because I'm former Navy and oh. I literally like just tears like, ah! like I was like, I don't know why that just put me over the like the edge because it's like, OK, they're coming home Yeah, now. They're going to yeah. be, oh, you know, it's like, oh, my God. OK, I'm getting weepy just thinking about it. <laughs> All right.
2: Let's let's move on. Well, that's good. I've, I'm glad that the, the Jon Stewart hit the right mark. Uh, I mean, that that song uh, coming in right when it does and. I was sitting next to somebody else who was former military. And when that scene started, I'd seen it before, so I just looked over to see what the reaction was. And he, he didn't, he just looked at me, he turned and looked at me and he just nodded. He was like, yes, you you did it right. You did it right. When that mother country song
1: kicks in, that, that whole <laughs> sequence is just incredible.
2: Incredible. Yeah. And that's a difficult chord to strike properly. Um, you know the that could be you know uh, rah 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 America, like super rah 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 America, which rightly so, right? It's the Apollo Eleven, you know, peak of of everything working well, right? Um, but it it is the right and his and the lyrics of the song are actually very not rah 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 America.
0: No, they're not. Yeah, but it's
2: mm. you know this was uh, this was a recording that was on board they were listening to, um, and uh, we actually even found. Um, John Stewart's widow to talk to her about this whole thing. And she didn't know, and he didn't know that his song had, was even on board during Apollo 11. Um, so this is all like a really excellent um, connecting of everything together to make that happen. Wow. Wow.
1: Well, I for one am very excited about the new film and uh I can't
2: wait to watch it. Yeah, this is funny. It's like we're discussing a film and you haven't seen it yet. But no. uh, <laughs> so I can say anything about it. You don't know if I'm telling the truth. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um
1: then I want to I want to take you back cuz um you're you've got a tech background uh and That's right. then Apollo 17 real time was was your breakthrough into it my understanding correct me if I'm wrong it's your breakthrough into the space world Um, clearly you must have been into it like we are beforehand otherwise you would never have done that has this always been a massive thing or did you just happen to find Apollo 17 stuff or be like I want to know more about Apollo 17 I'm going to use my tech stuff and (laughs) acknowledge and, and make something and then at what point did you go oh my god what have I got myself into And now you work for NASA so uh, tell us a little bit more about how you go from doing Apollo in real time to working for NASA, because that just seems incredible.
2: Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. It's, it's, uh, it's a little bit of the second thing that you said, and that um, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was a space enthusiast, but I wasn't going to, you know, Space Fest. I wasn't collecting autographs. I wasn't, you know, there's a level of space enthusiast that I wasn't. Um, you know, like a Star Trek fan who really likes the show but has never gone to a convention, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the Apollo 13 movie probably really cemented it for me it, when that came out. Uh before that I knew it was cool, but I you know, I'm a shuttle generation person. Mm. Um and uh but that yeah, I think the Apollo 13 film really made me realize how great it is and then From the Earth to the Moon after that. Yes. Then when in about 1999 or so I came across the Apollo Lunar Surface Journal, on dial-up internet, which I'm sure you've, you've seen, it's still there. I still use it. Yeah, is this, like, you know, original p- piece of the internet, constantly updated, but the technology on it is, like, you know, blue-white background, Times New Roman font, blue-underline if it's a hyperlink. Um, but it contains all of the transcripts of what people said when they were on the surface of the moon, which, you know, it. I'm an internet person in that I build things on the internet and I've been thinking about how to build things on the internet since about 1996 when I had a dial-up modem deliver me the words that they said to each other in detail on the moon it was like one of those moments of the information age working and I just kind of went this is the richest content I've ever I didn't even imagine that this would be available and then I immediately thought wow, this would make a really wicked multimedia application like a CD-ROM or something, which is what you did back then because, yeah. you know, it was dial-up world. And I kind of had that idea in the back of my head for all those years. And I had a million excuses to myself as to why I'm not starting to try to tackle that. I mean, I knew it was really huge. The technologies weren't really there yet. And I'd go, oh, that sounds hard. And then not thinking about it again. Like, <laughs> you know, this this would pop into my head every six months or so. This is not like I was obsessing over it for all this time. And then in about 2009, I actually did start, um, maybe I could at least uh, contribute um, some of my efforts to complete the Apollo 17 record, which was not completed on the Apollo Flight Journal. And I thought maybe I could use my computer science background to work with this material and come up with an automated way to to fix this uh, bad, missing data for Apollo 17. And then I was too far in to stop. When I realized there was no automated way to do that. It was a manual (laughs) effort. It was going to take me six years, but it was such like, to your point, such rich material and so interesting that, you know, if you work on a hobby like that for too long, you can go a bit cross-eyed and just go, forget it. I'm getting overwhelmed. I'll never finish, but it's not a, it's a hobby. It's not a job. You don't have a deadline. So every time I'd feel like that, I just wouldn't work on it for a little while. And then, you know, it, it would creep back in like, Oh, what was that? Last thing that was bugging me that I couldn't figure out and I'm interested in it again and working on it. And no one knew what I was doing, which was really
1: liberating. This is crazy. So it was literally just a hobby. And you go on and you launch the Apollo 17 in real-time website. Uh, And and then eventually you you go on to do 11 and 13. So how how did that come about? You know How did did it pick up momentum to, to, to get to that point?
2: Working on the 17 thing, I put that out in 2015. Um, Todd Miller called me and said, I'm making a short film about 17 and I came across your amazing website. Oh my God. Can you direct me to, uh, where I can find the archival material? And then I introduced him to Steven Slater, who's the archive producer for the films now. So that was amazing. It was like, wow, somebody actually reached out to me that's interested in this stuff. And, you know, he'd call me and go, I'm really sorry to bug you again. And i like, are you <laughs> kidding me? This is my favorite topic. Uh, yeah, I'll talk to you for as long as you want. And in 20, so 2015, I put it out you know, I, my only thing I could think of to do with it is to try to submit it for some online awards, which it did not win. You know, it was like, I don't know, what do you do after you put something on the internet? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was just kind of over and fizzling. Like, frankly, it was like, okay. And then I thought I should probably come up with something to do for the 2016 anniversary of Apollo 17. And right around the time I was thinking about that, um, Noah Petro, who's the chief project scientist of the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter at Goddard Space Flight Center, uh, emailed me out of the blue, and it was like the first email I got with an at nasa.gov at the end of the email. You know, he was like, hey, uh, really great website. I think it's fantastic. And, you know, I just noticed you might have a mistake in the transcript here. You you say it's Gene talking when it's really Jack. And I was like, it's full of those kinds of mistakes, by the way. so. I was like, thank you very much. I'll fix it right away. And by the way, you're from NASA. That's amazing. I haven't heard from anybody. And we struck up a friendship. We started jumping on phone calls and getting to know each other until eventually I said to him, hey, I'm thinking of what to do for next uh, anniversary. Uh, you're the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter. Like, is there, are there any photographs or anything of where they landed? Like, I hadn't even looked online. I just asked Noah. He started laughing and said, like, that's literally my job. <laughs> He gave me huge amounts of data, uh, like 3D models of the surface and like high resolution data where you can see the footprints on the surface. And I was like, oh, my my God, God. Now I have to do something with this because, you know, NASA gave it to me. I can't just sit (laughs) on it now. I have to do something over that summer rendered. I decided to render out where the rover was driving. So um, on all the different stations and rover traverses, as they're called. Um, they turned off the television cameras because the antenna would be bouncing around when they were driving and there'd be no, no image on Earth anyway. So save the battery, let the transmitter cool, turn it off. So for when they're driving on the surface, you just get like 30 minutes of them chattering and like, hey, watch out for that hole in the ground. And, you know, Jack's taking pictures from his camera the whole time while Gene's driving. So I figured I'll just make, I'll make like a little dotted line follow the crew along the surface of exactly where they drove. So I found all the historical material of where they think they were and then like matched it up with the transcripts of that i had restored which turned out to be great source data for figuring out where they were at what time and i made all these renderings um which took hundreds of hours of computer rendering time Turned them into videos so now there's no blank video on the on the website and this was going to be my release for the 2016 version um and i you know emailed Noah and said hey i did something with all that data you gave me check it out and he He immediately phoned me was like, oh, my God, you need to come down to NASA and show everybody this like and and I I went, what, you know, (laughs) (laughs) really, like, aren't there people already at NASA doing this stuff? And he was like, well, we have people that do this kind of work, but you've literally taken lunar reconnaissance orbiter data and you've reconstructed an Apollo mission using it like we never anticipated that that would be a use of LRO. So, you know, come down and give a talk on the anniversary. So I went down December of 2016 during the anniversary and stood in front of a room full of scientists at Goddard Space Flight Center and told them about all the work I had done for six years. And at the end of it, literally, they invited me to start working with them. Um, They invited me to come on a field analog in the Patrio Desert where they were going to be doing similar EVAs because this might be a great way to organize the data that we are gathering on those field analogs could not even listen to what the person was saying to me that was asking me to do this, because I thought, I must be mishearing this. This is too good to be true. Like, <laughs> not, only, like not too good to be true, but more like too good for me to be hearing this correctly. Like, how am I going to get time off work? You know, uh, it, and I'm a fraud. Like, there's, I'm just like a multimedia guy. I'm not some NASA computer scientist, right? Like, they've got the wrong guy. They th- maybe they think I'm holding it ransom, like it's copyrighted idea, and they need to involve me. Like I had all these reasons that they didn't just want to involve me, right? And I probably tried to get, I talked them out of inviting me like three times, <laughs> tried to, and they kept going, no, 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 we're not, we don't want the computer software, we don't want the idea, we want you to come and help us, like you're an expert in this now, and and so once I got it through my thick skull, <laughs> I said yes, and uh and from there, it conti- the story continues.
1: Yeah, uh, now you have the email address of nasa.gov. <laughs> That's right, I do. <laughs> which, which must be a, Which must have been a real buzz when you got sent that.
2: Yeah, my mom got the first email, email from me oh, for sure.
1: Amazing, yeah. that's a that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> that is a beautiful thing. Um, and, and obviously, since then we've done eleven, which I guess was was associated with the with the movie as, as you got that data. And then last year you launched thirteen, uh, which was wonderful awesome. for me because it was you know lockdown had just happened. I wasn't going anywhere. The fiftieth anniversary of Apollo thirteen, and awesome. I literally devoured. So much content. I hardly slept. It was just (laughs) wonderful. So I I I know it's taken less amount of time each time. Obviously, you've had a few more people help you for 13. Are you planning on doing the remaining missions or are you passing that mantle on to someone else now?
2: Uh no, there's definitely plans to do it, but you know, you can't plan in the traditional sense these things. They're so big and they require like if you were to pay everybody to do it, it would cost millions of dollars in hours, Mm -hmm. right? yeah um so what it winds up being is uh, a bit of an archival search where you're figuring out what is the source material that we have to work with and we got really lucky on 13 which is like a funny phrase but um, <laughs> in that the the audio for 13 had been digitized already by the National Science Foundation for the Mission Control audio and it was in bad shape it needed to be restored in the same way that I had restored the Apollo 11 audio um, but also the uh, air-to-ground audio was, the, was recorded with time code next to it. Um, and it's the only mission that had time code recorded next to it. All of the others were not recorded on the same tape okay. format. So I've been looking everywhere, like, please tell me the remaining missions also have this. And it's like, and nope. Um, so that just meant I could just run this through the algorithm that, that uh, the team has made for the Apollo in real-time restoration process. And that's why Apollo 13 only took eight months to make. So the next, the plan and I've actually applied for a NASA grant is to do 16. Um, and wow. I refresh the page every day to see if that grant has been accepted and there's no word yet. Um, but uh, if that happens, then then it means it's an, it can be an official part of what I'm doing at NASA. It can be one of the projects I'm funded on. Um, and in adi- in addition to the future mission work that I'm doing, I can do, apollo in real time um as part of my paying gig at nasa if you think of it that way so fingers crossed and if you know if the funny doesn't come through we'll do it the old-fashioned way um it's just gonna take a really long time yeah well my fingers are definitely crossed i mean i don't want to blow smoke up no actually
1: i do want to blow smoke up your bum (laughs) because this is an incredible resource it's an incredible thing that you have done and, and you have started here and this is something that's, you know, it, this is a piece of research which is going to outlive us all. It's going to be here forever and people are going to come back and look at these these transcripts and these files and for these missions which are some of the most important things that have ever happened uh, to humanity. So and as a as a consumer of this kind of stuff as well, I, I just love it. I can go on the website and I can choose which person in mission control I want to want to be that day and listen to uh, listen to part of the mission from their perspective. It's It's just an incredible resource,
2: and nobody's listened to it all. Nobody's heard it all. Yeah, Uh, yeah. (laughs) Because I I certainly haven't. Yeah, (laughs) Apollo Eleven is eleven thousand hours long, and Apollo Thirteen is seventy five hundred hours long. Ridiculous! Um, It's a lot of material.
0: On Apollo Thirteen, like um, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, I remember there's this phone call at one point, and it, it happened like right after the contingency. And it's between Vance Brand and Joe Kerwin because Brand was the, um, one of the Capcoms, but I think he was just, you know, sort of hanging out in the moker. He wasn't Capcom when, um, the, ex- the, uh, explosion happened. And then he's calling Kerwin, who's like the oncoming, um, uh, Capcom. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap, this exists? Because yeah. I figured, because I'm figuring, well, they-, they had to have called each other and been like, yo, they- we are about to walk into something really nuts. You know, yeah. you may want to come in early or you may want to just know about this before you come in here because that would make sense to me. Like, you know, something nuts is going <laughs> on at my job. I hope somebody would call me up and say, yeah. hey, something blew up and you may want to come in here. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I sent that actually Joe Kerwin uh, is still alive and I sent that recording uh, to him saying, I think I found something that you've probably never heard since it happened. And he replied and said, I remember that phone call like he remembers that moment and they're they're both so pro on that call too they're not there's no superlatives going on he was like is that right
1: yeah
0: yeah you could tell he sounded kind of not scared but you know like holy crap but at the same time you could tell they were just keeping it together you know i remember brand was like this is a night like a nightmare sim and i was Mm -hmm. like oh my god so yeah, I just, yeah. it was amazing to hear that stuff because it's like, I didn't know that stuff was being, I didn't know it was preserved, but you figured there probably were a lot of moments like this where people were calling, you know, hey, just so you're not walking into an, a, you know, an atomic disaster, here's what's going on, you know? So I, I just thought that was kind of a neat yeah. little
2: moment. The phone calls seem to be when the personalities come out because they're personal calls usually and, uh, you know, calling home, I'm not. I'm not going to be home tonight kind of call to the significant other. And like, Oh yeah, I've been watching on TV. I saw that, like, don't worry about it. I'll, you know, do what you need to do kind of conversation. And, you know, even, even though everybody's being really human in those moments, they were still like really solid people that were, that were not like, there were no tempers flashing. It was really amazing to see. Like this could have been, if you think about it, here we are unveiling, uh, 7,500 hours of Apollo 13 audio that no one's ever heard. Maybe it will make a liar out of our entire thing (laughs) about the right stuff. You know, like it, maybe that everybody, it turns out everybody was panicking the whole time or something. And we just didn't know that. But thankfully not the case at all. Like everybody was as, as cool and calm as, as, uh, as we've come to expect.
1: Yeah, I stayed up uh, late to listen to the, the moment when the explosion happened during the 50th anniversary last year whilst on the website, and I couldn't believe how calm everyone was in those hours afterwards. It was
2: incredible. The shift that was on was at the end of their shift when the explosion happened, and they're all tired. You know, they're in a this-can't-be-right kind of mode. Like, they're, they're reacting and reacting and reacting. But by the time the next shift came on, which was Glenn Lunny's shift, It was this happened. And by all accounts, he showed up and was faster and and like more pointed and driving everybody. He was like quicker than everybody else in the room. And it was it's like one of those moments where you watch somebody at the peak of human achievement and listening to Glenn Lunny on that shift is the most inspiring thing. Absolutely. Uh, Listening to Glenn uh, do that work was is is my uh, special thing that is I think everybody should listen to. Absolutely. Oh um, I, w- I wanted to mention as well that uh, there's an attempt to try to track some of these uh, gems, like these little moments that happen, um, like phone calls to uh, spouses and things like that. There's a forum that's a companion to the Apollo in real time website. That if you go there, you'll you'll see. Uh, you know, I think it's only probably uh, thirty or forty different. Um, actually, for thirteen, it might be more, be more like a hundred different um, little interesting moments. With some commentary about it, uh, you know, like hearing somebody getting in trouble, um, uh, hearing somebody then later apologizing, like it's that kind of thing. That's uh, kind of an important part of unwinding uh, what this, re- what these recordings can teach you about how things worked um, beyond them just being really uh, amazing portals into history. Yeah. So if you come across something. There's a good chance you're the first person to have ever heard that, so save the link and throw it in the forum so other you know it doesn't matter if it's a duplicate or another, just yeah, talk about it because otherwise you know it'll just be a needle in a haystack for someone else to find later.
0: That really is great and so important. Uh, now we won't keep you for too much longer, uh, but we have a patreon page, and our top tier patrons, Patreons, uh get to ask questions of our guests, and this oh, time great. round two of them uh, sent us a uh, question. Uh, David Cuniff asks, of all the preparations that NASA made prior to the launch of Apollo 11, what is the biggest lesson learned from the mission that was subsequently applied to later missions?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it, it had to do with uh, definitely all the systems that were being used after landing um, and on EVA. They had a lot of contingency. Um, they had mobility questions. Basically, can you stick to a timeline when you're on the surface of the moon? That was a great big giant black question mark. Like if you think about 11, it was about a survival mission. Like it was kind of, can you get on the surface and off safely? We've done everything up to that. We've never done the surface part. Um, So any, any moment they were on the, on the surface there, everybody was just staring at all the, all the charts and like, you know, some pressure valve went too high on the lunar module and they'd be running back inside and leaving pronto yeah. I think another one that's, that really comes to mind is they had um, some uncertainty in the orbit, on lunar orbit, uh, before descent and landing, which caused a huge error in the landing ellipse. Um, so they, not only because they were being sent into a very rocky area and then Neil had to take famously take over and fly horizontally before landing, but they were already way off. They were already uh, way early, uh, passing all their landmarks many seconds early and they knew they were going to be landing very long and all the post mission debriefing and everything they figured out there was still some air left in the airlock when they separated from the command module and it gave them a little extra few feet per second boost that lasted like over the course of two orbits before they started descent and landing that put them in a very different place at the start time mm. of descent and landing which then made all their landmarks come by early so those kinds of things, they they then proved on 12 they could do a pinpoint landing. These are just the popular things that I, you know, the versions of what I know. The list of things that it went into making 12 better is probably like as long as all the list of things they did on 12. Like every successive mission was learning from the last um, mm. through this process. Yeah. Uh,
1: we've also heard from Amar, and I, I like this question a lot, <laughs> and I'm very interested just to, to know your, your point of view here. Um, after you've reviewed all the footage and audio and all that you've experienced in your time or collection or resto and restoration, <laughs> if you could be a fly on the wall and have experienced just one
2: mission, uh <laughs> which one would it have been, and why? well I mean seventeen is my favorite mission I have to admit clearly for me it was it's my entry into this whole thing, and it was really only because it was missing on the flight journal that I took an interest in it. But it's, it's the crown jewel of the whole Apollo program. Like, it, they had a scientist on board in the form of Harrison Jack Schmidt, who conducted field geology on the surface of the moon for three days. Like, imagine, you're a PhD field geologist, that like hard rock field geology, and then you're standing on the moon, like, 12 years later, doing field geology. Just imagine what that must have been like for Jack. If I would love to, and I've really gotten to, like, it sounds a funny phrase to use, but I've really gotten to know that crew well, like, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of listening to them, getting to know their sense of humor and being able to hear like when one's irritated, just cause I know what he sounds like when he's irritated, which I know for sure I could not have heard when I first listened to that audio. Um, you kind of get that for all of the different missions. If you've listened through them all. Um, and that's a really, that's a nice personal uh, gift that you get. It's like the, not just being a fly on the wall, but a fly that's part of the crew that like knows them really well. Um, So I'd have to say 17, but, um, you know, that's an unfair question to begin with. They're all amazing.
0: Thank you for giving us uh, your time tonight. Uh, I think this has been very inspirational, seeing you going from uh, having a hobby to working for NASA. And I imagine a few of our listeners are going to be taking up a new hobby of looking (laughs) up archives.
2: Well, yes, uh, there's a... I'm I'm very hesitant to say, you know, uh, follow your dreams and good things will happen or anything like that. This was... I always reflect back that this was really about unwinding after work and not about some ulterior motive that was going to get me noticed in some way. That's, um, I mean, I'm feel very thankful that that did happen, but, uh, I think the bigger thing is just don't forget to spend time working on things for yourself mm. and not only for your employer. Absolutely. Uh, a
1: friend of mine says, if you do something for the right reasons, good things happen. And, uh, absolutely I, I definitely feel like what you were doing was for the right reasons yeah thank you so much for, for joining us
2: thank well, you thank you it's my pleasure this is gene and i'm on the surface and as i take these last step from the surface we leave as we came and god willing as we shall return
1: So h- how amazing was that? What a lovely, lovely, lovely guy!
0: Yeah, that was that was incredible. Uh, that was that was one of the most fun interviews uh, I've ever had. Uh, yeah, that that and plus, I mean, I'm just I, I'm kind of starstruck, obviously, because uh, I'm just a big fan of his work. I, I remember when um, Apollo Eleven in Real Time, the old school one, came out in 2009, yeah. and uh, I'll be honest, that was a real big factor in me getting um, back into like space flight because around that summer, I really started during the Apollo 40th. I really started, you know, reading, getting back into reading my Apollo books again. And, um, Mm. and plus, you know, with the addition of the Twitter from that, I, I just, yeah, it was like falling in love with, well, I wouldn't say falling in love. It was like rediscovering something you'd fallen in love with. So, uh, it was, it was really incredible
1: absolutely absolutely uh th- th- those twitter accounts that were set up for for the 40th that were were just amazing and and seeing the mission control react with the with the with the spacecraft so it was was it was a very clever thing they did there and and uh and, and Ben's work since since then uh has been incredible uh, and and all the stuff he did for the apollo 17 in real time i mean that was just a hobby and it's, it, look what he's done with that. It's incredible. So that he, he mentioned within the interview that there was a movie, a short film that the Apollo 11 team, um, the team that made the Apollo 11 film started on. And this was uh, Apollo 17, Last Steps. Now, I'd never heard of this. And that annoyed me because I thought I'd done a lot of research about Apollo 17 and what was online. I generally had never heard of this thing. And I found the link on Vimeo afterwards, after the interview, and I sent it to you, Emily. How incredible is that short film?
0: It's a beautiful film. Uh, the only thing I didn't like about it was I wanted more. Yeah. I'll be real. I wanted like 10 times more than that. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing, you know, because, I mean, it was just, oh, wow. I'd never seen a lot of that stuff, you know, or I'd never seen it in, um, I'd never seen it that cleaned up. So I was just like. Yeah, the only criticism I have of it was it wasn't long enough, not not <laughs> yeah, enough. Give us more. Give, us, give us, more. us more. We want like a two-hour version yeah. of that. You know,
1: absolutely. I, I said to you last night when we were watching it, I, was, I want them to do every mission. Yeah, because uh, the same way I want him to do Ben to do every mission of the archives. These these shorts or, or proper movies, if we can get them, of all of this stuff would be incredible because they just make it come alive.
0: You know, for somebody like me who really was not alive. I am totally was not alive during that time. I mean, um, yeah, I, I just watching that. It was like, you know, I didn't experience this, but you feel like you were still there in some way because it's so cleaned up. It's so the only thing that's a little kind of like out of place is the, the fashions and stuff, you know, especially yeah. from the Apollo 17 one, but, uh, <laughs> things are getting a little seventies in there, but, um, yeah, there were little, little loud shirts and then that one, but, um, And some mutton chops, but other than that, I mean, you feel like you're completely like, okay, this could fit in now. You're, you feel like you are blessed enough to be there, which is incredible. Yeah.
1: Um, So that that really was a great interview, and and thank you, Ben, for for giving us your time. Um, In terms of the distribution of uh, the new film, it's um, it's going to be available this weekend. It's getting a limited IMAX release. So if you have an IMAX theatre near you, check the listings. Although, obviously, take care it with with, uh, with what you're doing outside and all those kind of things. But hopefully, your local IMAX will have taken precautions anyway, uh, so you can watch that safely. Annoyingly, we don't yet know when and how it's going to end up online uh, or for purchase for those of you who can't get to, to IMAX. Um, but once we know that, we will let people know. All right. And of course, we will put links to uh, Ben's social media and websites within the show notes. Uh, But if, if you haven't seen the Apollo 11 movie or you haven't visited Apollo in real time website, you really are missing out. Uh, And we did, of course, talk for much longer than you've heard in this episode. I I chopped a fair bit out uh, just for time reasons. And we discussed the soundtrack of the movie and Ben's role in restoring uh, the Apollo mission control room. I had to take all of that out. And that's fascinating. He had, I mean, that was really amazing. But fear not, you can watch the full interview over on our Patreon page. Uh, If you're one of our lovely subscribers over there, I really do recommend you head over there to patreon.com forward slash space and things to find out more uh, of course you can you can join in there as well
0: yeah um not trying to be pushy but uh it, i mean of course we we'd love it if you just listen to us you know but um if you go to patreon this year uh you guys are gonna get your you guys really are in for a treat um we've got some pretty incredible interviews lined up for the coming months and you can find out in advance who they are. Uh, give us some questions to ask and watch the full unedited interviews just by signing up. Uh, so please, please do check that out. We do highly recommend it. And it's not just, you know, lip service. There, There's some good stuff coming up.
1: Yeah, it's uh, my email. I, I can't believe the people I've been emailing this week. It's been, uh, it's been mind-blowing. Yeah, it's absolutely we mind-blowing. Got, yeah,
0: I'm seeing some of the, I mean, I, I don't want to sound braggy, but, you know, um we got some pretty good names coming up that uh and we're gonna have some pretty awesome interviews so uh yeah y'all are in for a treat and we got a good year coming up so it's gonna be pretty cool
1: and of course we couldn't have done that without what without you people listening in the first place so thank you thank you very much for that this is all we have time for this week and we hope that you uh you've enjoyed this podcast and uh, and our interview with ben uh, and thanks to everyone who has i know we sound like a broken record here but really do thank you for for your support of the show and to those who who hit that share button it really is important
0: yes um thank you so much to all of you for listening but please remember in space no one can hear you mean
2: space and things has been brought to you by and things productions